Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Welcome into this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com, the official podcast of Minor League Baseball. There are not one, not two, but three of us on with you to open the show this week. My name is Tyler Ron, Samuel Dykstra, and Benjamin Hill, both in New York City. Hello, gents. How are you? Pretty good. I, I noticed you were using all of our full names. I am. This you, is you, very professional this week. Yeah, you can't really join in on the fun unless your nickname was Ty or something. Right, 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 right. Which it is, but not in like a not in like a professional. Like I would never write a story with a byline as a tie mon. Partially because my last name is one syllable, and I I don't feel like I am cool enough to go with that nickname. Just Ty. I feel like it has to. You know, I, I can't, I can't do it, but you guys, Sam and Ben, it works for both of you. Um, so fine. Sam Dykstra, Ben Hill, Sam P Dykstra, Benjamin Hill. Well, my, my way of bringing Ben into this discussion now is I feel like time on is some sort of pun that we could play with. Hmm. Well, like, I, I would, yeah, go ahead. I, I was th- yeah. Just thinking if Tyler has like a, you know, big night out imbibes a lot and he was really time one mon. <laughs> So you went the other direction. I was thinking like, you know, we, when, when we used to play wiffle ball on the street and a car was coming, somebody would get yell car, right. Everybody would get out of the street. And then when the car game was gone, on. somebody would yell game on. Right. So, you know, if, if it was a timed sport, I think that hockey or something for, uh, for the, the generation that precedes you, Sam, uh, Ben and I both probably feel this way. That was a Wayne's world thing. That was in the Wayne's world. That is true. You never played. You know what? Yeah. Well, honestly, when I said street hockey, that's probably what it was. I probably was, was it was hearkening back into that uh, that part of the brain uh, of yours. This week, um, got a lot coming up for you on the podcast, but I just want you guys to know that I'm being very uh, fittingly a podcaster. I'm literally doing this show from my mom's basement this week. Literally, <laughs> that is that is the backdrop today. I'm doing some work uh, over at my mom's house, and uh, and yeah, that's uh, it's great. We're living up to the billing. Uh, but we got a ton to get to on this week's episode of the show. As we uh, thank you for joining us for uh, yet another week closer to the start of the 2021 minor league season, and the reason right out of the gate that we have Ben on the show this week is Ben and Sam got a chance to talk with uh, a couple of minor league teams that have big changes coming in 2021. One team, which will be a full season squad for the first time ever, the Hillsborough hops and another team, which will be hosting one of the most unique arrangements in baseball in 2021, the Trenton thunder, who we welcome back into the minor league fold uh, guys, give us a little lowdown on the, the interviews that we're going to hear coming up and then we'll dive into some topics for this week. Well, uh, yeah. Um, I'd say both of these uh, interviews have the larger theme of uh, hosting our Canadian neighbors in these times of uh, struggle with uh, the border being closed. Because Tyler, you mentioned the Hillsborough Hops. Not only after only being a short season Northwest League team, are they now moving up to high A and being a full season team for the first time. So big adjustment there. On top of that, they are hosting simultaneously along with Hops games. They are hosting Vancouver Canadian games. Um, one of their league mates because the border is closed. So the Vancouver Canadians cannot operate at least to start the season. And then in Trenton, uh, yeah, crazy situation there, but they were set to have a draft league team after losing their double a affiliation with the Yankees. And uh, then late breaking news, uh, the Buffalo Bisons 
couldn't play in Buffalo because the Toronto Blue Jays need to probably play in Buffalo or definitely need to play in Buffalo. And so the Buffalo Bisons are now going to Trenton uh, to compete uh, as the Trenton Thunder at home games and as the Bisons <laughs> during away games. Uh, so Trenton went from the double A New York Yankees affiliate to losing their affiliation, becoming a draft league team to putting the draft league on hold, at least for now, and then hosting the triple A Toronto Blue Jays affiliate, the Buffalo Bisons in Trenton. So uh, Sam and I covered a lot there. And uh, I think those conversations will go pretty well. All kinds of interesting stuff uh, coming up on this week's episode of the show before the show. And uh, with that, Ben, let's talk about this Buffalo news in some more detail. Um, the the Bisons moving around as part of these dominoes falling and uh, the Blue Jays obviously starting their season playing in Dunedin right now, but they will move north to Buffalo. It'll be a lot more uh, hospitable for the summer, obviously, playing uh, in New York State than, than playing down uh, in the, the heat that is a Florida summer. Um, that does put the Bisons now into Trenton. And like you said, they're going to play at home as the Trenton Thunder on the road as the Buffalo Bisons. How did this whole thing come together? We've heard rumors about this for the last couple of weeks, but take us through some more of the detail of this arrangement. And in addition to that, what it means for Trenton with the draft league now going forward, which is on hold. Well, I think we'll cover a lot of this in the upcoming segment with uh, Jeff Hurley, the GM and COO of the Trenton Thunder. But I had been mistaken. I thought they were simultaneously hosting the Bisons and the draft league, but uh, the draft league, it still remains unclear where the Trenton Thunder of the draft league will now play um, while the Trenton Thunder are hosting the Buffalo Bisons. So it's a complicated situation. Uh, a lot of moving parts. Uh, the team said, you know, they'd known about it for a little while, but just were able to make it official last week. And now they're in the process of, uh, you know, getting quite a bit more interest uh, because now they're hosting AAA instead of, uh, the draft league and uh it's a great little uh i'm happy for the team because to lose the double a yankees affiliation was obviously tough i mean there's they had the future in the draft league and there's potential there but to lose that after you have that for such a long time is tough and to get a reprieve and back into affiliated ball at the highest level uh through a set of very anomalous situations is uh pretty cool for the thunder and i'm looking forward to uh, seeing what happens this season and this isn't something we've got to go too much into detail uh, with Jeff. So I'll bring this to you now, Ben, um, as somebody who has been to all these minor league parks, um, Trenton Thunder ballpark going from double a to triple a, um, you know, what was your experience going there? I've been there before myself, but like how well equipped do you feel as a ballpark and as a city really is Trenton to, to make that jump for the 2021 season? Well, I think it's a good market being in central New Jersey and therefore, um, you know, that's an area, my dad lives around there, you know, it's an area that has a lot of both New York and Philadelphia fans. So, um, you know, they'll be hosting the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, the Scranton Mokesbury Rail Riders, both Phillies and Yankees affiliates. So they can draw from the local fan base to kind of root against the Buffalo Bisons playing as the Trenton Thunder when the, when that team plays against the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs or the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders. Um, you know, the ballpark was built, I can't remember exactly when, but, you know, about 25 years ago. So it's not a you know, shining new jewel in the minor league landscape, but Hey, they, they've hosted the, the Yankees at double A affiliate for years. And uh, you know, amenity wise, it's, it's more than capable, you know, to step up uh, it's right on the water and uh, very accessible uh, through public transit and uh, you know, major roads. So you can get there pretty easy uh, via train, via car. Uh, and I think there'll be a lot of interest uh, for, for people to get out there and see a game uh, in this circumstance. And uh, I think they're operating at what, like 20, 22, 23% uh, capacity to start, but uh, hopefully as the season goes on, more and more people pack the stands and uh, get some pork roll and root on the Trenton Thunder slash Buffalo Bisons. Yeah, and, and one thing we should point out as well is that a big reason for Trenton being invited into the fold here is because of these kind of pocket schedules that are existing at the AAA level this year in terms of teams will only play four or five teams for the entire season. And they'll basically be stuck in these pods. So for the new AAA East League, you're looking at Worcester, Rochester, Scranton, like you said, Lehigh Valley, and now Buffalo slash Trenton. So they needed a, a, a team in that Northeast region. How much did that kind of play into this, you think? Well, I think it yeah, played in a lot because uh, obviously they're trying to minimize travel now more than ever with the, you know, COVID still being very much a real thing, even though we do now see a light at the end of the tunnel. So um, that's a pretty specific area. Um, in which another team could slot in that a had the capabilities to 
post affiliated ball at that level, uh, pre-existing capabilities, because obviously there's not really the time now to uh, make those improvements so close to the season. And uh, B, being that geographic range that fits within, not within the whole footprint of the league, uh, which is actually a huge league, 20 teams, um, that's irrelevant right now. It needs to fit in the footprint of that specific division, uh, this pod, and uh, it does that. So it's uh, best of both worlds. And I'm not sure how many other options were available, and I'm, I'm glad it fell to the Trent Thunder. Yeah, for sure. And, and Ben, you, you have a story here coming up um, at, uh, celebrating an actual double-A team, a uh, double-A team that's staying as a double-A team, but the Tulsa Drillers and the way they are uh, honoring Jackie Robinson as a Dodgers affiliate, obviously, but there's a deeper meaning here. What, what can you tell us about that story? Yeah, Jackie Robinson Day, uh, Thursday, April 15th. That's when the story's coming out. Hopefully that's when you're listening to this podcast as well. I hope you take the time to check out the story. Um, Yes, the Tulsa Drillers, double-A Dodgers affiliate, unveiled the Jackie Robinson mural um, that's on a building that overlooks left field, and, uh, you know, it's gorgeous. Um, I feel like my powers of description, even though I'm a writer, uh, do not do it justice, but it is, a, you know, a huge enhancement to the, the game day atmosphere to have this Jackie Robinson mural overlooking left field, but it's not just about that. Uh, the mural is located on a building owned by the Greenwood Chamber of Commerce. The Drillers play in the Greenwood District. 2021 is the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa race massacre, which occurred in Greenwood, which was known as Black Wall Street until it was absolutely decimated by a violent rampaging white mob in 1921, May 31st, and into June 1st in 1921. So this Jackie Robinson mural is uh, tied in with the Greenwood Chamber of Commerce and larger city efforts and the drillers efforts uh, to stage events this year. Uh, bringing awareness to uh, the race massacre, which is still an underreport. It's gotten more attention, and I know it's featured in the uh, show The Watchmen, um, but it's still an underreported and you know, horrific chapter in American history, uh, probably the worst race-related riot of all time in American history. And um, so this Jackie Robinson mural brings foot traffic to the area. It's outside the ballpark. Um, so the, the, there's hope that people will come to see this mural, but also on top of that, learn about Greenwood, learn about the race massacre, and perhaps most importantly for here in the year 2021, explore Greenwood right now, support the businesses that are still trying to exist in these original buildings that are still left from Black Wall Street to survive the riot, uh, to refurbish these buildings, and uh, to hope to have them rebound not only from the pandemic, but from you know, decades of you know, trauma and this horrible uh, history that stems from the riot and goes beyond that with a legacy of you know, quote unquote urban renewal and planning throughout the city that segregated it further. Um, it's a very American story and there's a lot to get into. I try my best to cover as much in the story, but this is something that clearly could go way more than that. But the mural was created by two uh, black artists uh, and I talked to both of them and uh, to tie their stories in with uh, the Greenwood Chamber of Commerce story uh, with the team story, with the Jackie Robinson mural, with all the history, it's a lot going on. And uh, I think it's a important and hopefully impactful story. And I'm happy to draw attention to it. And uh, I'm really rooting for that neighborhood going forward and can't wait to visit there again. Yeah, one of those uh, artists, Thomas Evans, who goes by uh, Detour as his uh, his artist name, uh, he's Denver-based. Detour303 is um, his social media handle. I know on Instagram and all that he was posting when he was in Tulsa and getting that thing painted. And um, I think you could credit him with a lot. Denver's a very mural-friendly city nowadays, and I think you could credit uh, Thomas Evans' Detour's artwork with a lot of that. And it's very recognizable. I know he also just posted um, recently that some of his art was being installed on on the uh, outside of the American embassy in Beijing too. He was contacted by the state department. They said, we really want to honor American heroes. We like your work. Um, would you be willing to um, provide us with some stuff that we could uh, put up on the, on the embassy in Beijing? And I think he was kind of blown away by that, but just incredible stuff. And the, the thing that I like most about the, the piece that those artists did in Tulsa is it's so bright and it's so vibrant um, in a way that kind of makes you look at it and go, oh yeah, Jackie Robinson was a real human being. He was a person with, with feelings and emotions and with a life, with a, a wife and children. And um, he wasn't just the, the textbook guy that you've learned about and the American hero in that way. He was vibrant and everything about his road to where he was not only as a civil rights leader, but as a major leaguer was all vibrant and part of his life story as well. It just really feels like it encapsulates something um, bigger than just Jackie Robinson, which with the history of that area, the community, the city of Tulsa, um, that's 
it's very perfect for what that mural is now in that area um, that they were able to, to do something and capture that spirit that way. Yes, absolutely. And uh, you mentioned Detour. Um, yeah, Denver-based artist. He told me that uh, this is the first time he'd worked specifically in the world of sports and that is one of his big goals going forward, especially with uh, the Rockies now hosting the All-Star Game, is to try to partner with the Colorado Rockies on a mural and hopefully the um, publicity he gets in the sports world with this Jackie Robinson mural helps him to do that. The other artist, Chris uh, Skur, Scare, his uh, graffiti tag name, S-K-E-R, Chris Rogers, Scare. Uh, he's Tulsa-born uh, native and does a lot of work in that area. And so it's a really cool collaboration between a local and bringing in an out-of-town artist to create something uh, spectacular. And I hope a lot of people are able to check it out. All right, Ben, tee us up. Hillsborough and Trenton coming up. Uh, what are Who are we going with first? What are we going to hear? Yeah, well, we spoke to K.L. Wambacher, the GM and president of the Hillsborough, Hillsborough Hops, about not only adjusting to being a full-season team, uh, for the first time ever, but hosting the Vancouver Canadians. And he had a lot to say about that arrangement. And then Sam and I talked to uh, Jeff Hurley of the Trent Thunder, uh, going uh, into a lot more detail regarding that very strange uh, Buffalo Bisons, Trent Thunder saga that we uh, talked about at the, the top of this segment. So hear a lot more from the, the people involved. And I think they, they were both great guests in terms of uh, being really open about how it all came about and what they expect going forward. And I think for people like us and hopefully like a lot of listeners who like to get into the nitty gritty of these uh, very 2021 specific arrangements and uh, really happy to see baseball back and, and uh, learn more about how it's all going down as we really ease back in in a very strange world and hope to return to normalcy as much as possible. Um, you know, seeing how they're going about it uh, in very strange times. And uh, I think there's a sense of optimism in these interviews too, uh, despite how weird everything is to finally get going uh, to help other teams, you know, quote unquote in need. And uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of great information. So I'm looking forward to listening to it again, because, you know, when you're doing the interviews, uh, Sam, um, you know, you're always thinking about your next question, but now I can be a listener too. It's, 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 it's so idyllic. Gail Wambacher, the Hillsborough Hops, first up with Sam and Ben next. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you, based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. I'm here with my friend Sam Dykstra, and we are talking to K.L. Wambacher, the president and general manager of the Hillsboro Hops. K.L., thanks, uh, thanks a lot for joining us here on the podcast. Uh, my pleasure. It's good to see the both of you. Yeah, we're doing this on Zoom, so we get to see each other. It's a benefit <laughs> of the visual medium. Um, well, you know, as we were saying before we went uh, on air, so to speak, Strange times for everyone in minor league baseball gearing up for this season, but um, definitely strange times, exciting times in Hillsborough. One, uh, for the first time ever, I mean, you've been with the Hops since their inception in 2012 and with their uh, predecessor, the Yakima Bears, before that. Uh, and in all that time, you were a short season team in the Northwest League. So first of all, you are entering a new full season reality uh, in the, I'm still getting all my leagues straight, in the High A West League. Uh, Diamondbacks affiliate. And then on top of that, your league mates, the Vancouver Canadians, uh, due to border issues uh, with COVID-19, cannot play in Vancouver this year, or more accurately, other teams can't really go play them. Uh, you know, the border is closed. So the Hops, in addition to playing their first ever full season, will be hosting the Canadians as well. So a lot swirling around there. And I guess to start, KL, just in terms of just adjusting to being a full season club, what sort of preparations were involved with that even before you heard you were hosting the Canadians as well to start the season? 
Well, I, I think the, the biggest thing is trying to, uh, I mean, it's a great opportunity to go to high A and, and to go to full season. Um, I got a lot of uh, texts and, and emails from friends in the industry that, that joked with me that I have to work as hard as they do now since I've made a living at short season A. Um, so, that, you know, that was disappointing. But um, the, I think the biggest thing for us is how do we balance our work-life balance with our staff? You know, none of our staff signed up for 60 to 66 home games. They, they signed up for the 38. And so being somewhat uh, sympathetic to making sure that um, we, we build a lifestyle around getting the work that needs to be done, but also giving people a life. I, th I think the, the days of working every single game from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. Are, are really long gone, um, at least for our, for our organization. And so, you know, creating a good structure with our front office to make sure we get the coverage we need for games. People that want to work games can have families and kids and, and, and don't want to be at the ballpark the whole time. So that's, I think, the biggest immediate challenge for us. Um, I think um, the, the increase to high A is really exciting from a, from a prospect standpoint. We've been very fortunate with the talent that's come through Hillsboro um, since we moved to the team here and, and seeing that talent now two years later, two years more of development, you know, we're going to see every superstar prospect, uh, you know, guys at the short season level. So um, to me, that's super exciting. And, and it's a new level of baseball. I've never seen high A baseball before. And, and, and um, so that's, that's uh, going to be a lot of fun. Um, and then from a community standpoint, I mean, 60 games this year, 66 in the future versus 38 is a major economic impact. So it's a great thing for our community. It's a great thing for our baseball community. Having games when school's going on, I think is a great opportunity. We haven't been able to really get our players involved with, with uh, school-aged children, like going into the schools, doing assemblies and, and providing a source of inspiration for some of these kids um, operating while youth baseball season is going on. Normally it's wrapping up when we're starting our season. Um, so there could be some fun connections there that, that are important to us from a community development standpoint. So lots of opportunities and, um, you know, mitigate uh, any downside that comes with it. But for the most part, it's, 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 it's a lot of upside. Yeah, so huge transitions just in that realm and then uh, hosting uh, the Vancouver Canadians as well with them playing their home games at least to start the season in Hillsborough. Um, if you could just give us a little background on how that came about, uh, you know, how you were first approached and um, you know, how on top of all these adjustments you just mentioned, uh, how you're planning to do that as well. Yeah, um, another exciting part of this summer, you know, um, Andy Dunn, the team president, uh, Andy, we've, we've been good friends for many years now. He actually was on the relocation committee for the Northwest League and was part of the negotiation when we moved the team here. So he had a huge hand in, in us moving from um, Yakima to Hillsborough. So when he reached out and kind of explained the situation, at first he was just looking for a backup plan in case the borders shut down. And then obviously as things progressed, that became more and more likely. Um, but I mean, we said yes from, from the moment I picked up the phone um, with Andy. I mean, uh, we've always had the attitude in our league, if a team needs something, you know, we, we try to do what we can to, to help, help them out and be a good teammate. And so this was really an opportunity for us to just be a great teammate to Andy and to the Canadians. Um, and, and also, you know, I look at this as almost trying to somewhat repay him for, for the, all the work and time and effort he put in to help us get to Hillsborough. He's a big reason. I give him a ton of credit um, for, for how, how we got here to Hillsborough. So in, in a way, it's kind of serendipitous that, you know, he helped us get the team here to Hillsborough. And now he's playing in Hillsborough a season. Um, it, it, it's pretty cool. And you know, from a, again, from a community standpoint, we've got a great baseball community in the Portland Metro and Hillsborough in particular, and to have 120 games in this market is going to be fantastic. Uh, it, it's, it comes at a perfect time. Our hotels need it. Our hospitality industry needs it. Our restaurants 
need it. We need this influx of, of economic development. So um, the timing is great. And, you know, it was going to be a crazy season anyway, this transition to long A, dealing with the COVID protocols. You know, why not bring Vancouver here? And, and you know, Tom Backmeyer moved up here from Lancaster. Um, Andy is here and they're, they're bringing uh, one or two members down from, from Vancouver. So we're going to have some fun together. I appreciate what you're saying about like the personal connection and how, you know, you guys know each other well, the communication there was super easy, but what is it about, and you touched on it a little bit there being part of the Portland metro area is, is a big draw of this as well, but why is Hillsborough and Ron Tonkin Field like so well set up for this to work and to house two teams for the foreseeable future here? Yeah, great question, Sam. Well, the, the, the biggest thing is we're adjacent to a football stadium and that football stadium has four pretty big locker rooms. So Vancouver actually negotiated a deal with the city of Hillsborough to rent the facility, rent Ron Tonkin Field, which the city owns. And, um, and as part of that negotiation, they were able to get space on the football side. So they're using part of the football stadium for their team offices, which is pretty cool. Um, they're using the locker room. So they'll have kind of a clubhouse for the season that they're going to put carpet in and decorate out. So there wasn't, there's no crossover between their team and our team. Uh, and that was an uh, important factor from MLB, especially with COVID protocols. They didn't want another team coming into our clubhouse um, during the season and having us to move in, move out. So they get their own space. Um, we still have space for the visiting team, which uses the football stadium as well for the visiting clubhouse. Um, so it's, it's kind of one of those just perfect situations where we have a newer facility, a really nice facility. It's artificial turf. So we, we kind of take the weather issues out of it for the most part um, to get all the games in. And, and that football stadium gives us the clubhouse ability for them, for the visiting team, and for us to all have our own spaces throughout the summer. And, yeah, and, we're, and, and we're just great people. So they, they wanted to come to Hillsborough <laughs> just to be around us. Right. Yeah. You guys are, are going to be great hosts, obviously. Leave gift baskets all over the place. Um, but that, that kind of touches on another thing that I wanted to bring up, which was so much of not only the new affiliate structure, but also COVID protocols means a lot of changes to stadiums in general. What other changes were you guys planning, or if any, uh, to Tonkin Field to get ready for this season? And now that you have to you know, house double the clubs, like how else is that factoring into it outside of the football stadium, which you just mentioned? Yeah, um, lots of player protocols. So, you know, looking at things like erecting some tents out in, in the um, kind of the outside area, whether it's a parking lot or down in our hop garden area, which is a hospitality area for players to, to be able to eat, to spread out, to be outdoors. Um, so there's definitely some modifications from a player standpoint, from a fan standpoint, adding some hand sanitizers, um, enhancing our cleaning protocols are, are pretty simple things, you know, trying to figure out ways to space people out on the ingress, um, space people out in the restrooms and the concession lines. Um, you know, most of the stuff, it, it, what's great now is there's been so many sports stadiums that have been operational that we can look at best practices from around the country and, and copy and paste. So we're not, you know, if this was last April, uh, last May, it would be probably a lot more challenging for us, but we've seen so many great examples of keeping fans safe and operating sports facilities in a safe manner that um, it's a lot of copy and paste. So not, not a ton of modifications are going to be needed to our facility. We do have to uh, follow the state guidelines, which right now is 25% maximum occupancy with um, six foot distancing and, and mandatory mask usage. So uh, you know, we've created a pod seating format, so we'll zip tie some seats. So we, we maintain that social distance. But um, other than that, some hand sanitizer units, not a ton of uh, facility modifications needed. Yeah, with uh, these two teams, both calling Hillsborough home, um, just thinking about it from a, you know, promotional standpoint, game operation standpoint, game experience. Um, you know, what kind of things have you been talking about in order to differentiate a Vancouver Canadians quote-unquote home game Ops game you know have you thought about um you know maybe Canada specific promotions food items uh things you can do at the ballpark that speak to you know this anomalous situation and having it yeah just how you're going to fill uh the schedule just from an entertainment perspective yeah great question Ben I mean you know what's what's great about this situation is 
the Canadians are operating their own games. Um, so Andy, Tom, Stephanie, um, they've hired uh, an additional person um, in the market. So we don't have a lot to do around their games. They're 60 games, which is good because we've got plenty to do around our 60 games. Um, and, and they're running a, a real skeleton crew. I mean, this is going to this is going to cost them a lot of money to operate down here. And they're probably going to lose a lot of money, unfortunately. Um, and so I know they're kicking around some ideas to, to create that Canada tie-in um, down here in Hillsboro. Um, they have a great t-shirt out for their ticket plan buyers. It says we're, we're here for a good time, but not a long time. Um, so they're having, they're having some fun with it. Um, they're creative people, very creative people. They're some of the best operators in the game, in my opinion. Um, so I think that's what will be a lot of fun for us is, is to be, you know, 24 seven, um, around really good operators. They're going to make us better. Um, and, and I think seeing some of the things that they do for their games might inspire us to do something for our games and vice versa. Um, uh, you know, our food and beverage team is working with them on what that operation is going to look like. And, and part of the challenge really, I think for the Canadians is, they don't have any idea how many people are going to come to their games. You know, they don't have a built-in season ticket base, mini plan base, um, group clients. Um, so, you know, maybe they're hoping for about 500 a game. It could be 2000 a game. It could be a hundred a game. Like it is such an unknown that it's really hard. I think to put in a lot of resources and planning from a promotional standpoint, if you don't even know if people are going to, are going to show up. Um, they're sinking so much money into just playing the games, getting the baseball in that it's really hard to justify going above and beyond that with, um, you know, additional promotions and fan amenities and stuff like that. So I think, you know, short answer or lo long answer short, I think is just kind of a wait and see approach, you know, get, get to opening day. Uh, let's, let's get the baseball in, in the month of May, we've got decreased capacities. And then let's see how we can kind of ramp things up in June, July, August, and September. Yeah, and that, that kind of pivots to the question I was going to end on, which you say, you know, so much is just a wait and see approach. We don't know what things are going to be like. And this is going to be a question about August. So we really don't know what things are going to look like. You know, knock on wood, maybe the Canadian border will be open by then. But as of right now, you guys are first scheduled to, quote unquote, visit Vancouver on August 3rd. Uh, if things are still in place, the border is still closed, you know, Vancouver is hosting the hops at Ron Tonkin Field. One, how awkward is that going to be? And two, how are you guys going to treat that? Like, are you going to just remind them, hey, this is our house? What is that going to be like? Can you envision that far in the future? Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, we're going to be sitting in the stands drinking beer and eating hot dogs, our staff, because we don't have to run the games. So, <laughs> um, you know, it'd be like watching your team on the road, except we don't have to travel. Um, yeah, it's good. It's going to be fun. I mean, I'm, I'm sure by that time, you know, we'll all have our feet under us. Um, we'll all, hopefully we'll be at full capacity. Um, and it would be great to see a full capacity crowd of hops fans for a road game um, for a Vancouver home game. So um, by that time, we'll, we'll definitely have a lot of chance to plan and, and think about, you know, how much fun we could have with that series. Um, Cause I, I don't know that that's ever happened in baseball before. So um, could be, could be a, a real historic moment. Okay. Well, you and the hops and the Canadians um, got your work cut out for you, but um, looks like you're pretty optimistic, all things considered. And there's a lot to look forward to. And I know at the very least you and everyone is excited just to actually have some games and in your case, double the games. So I uh, appreciate you giving your perspective on everything that's going on and uh, best of luck with what's sure to be a weird and wild 2021. Yeah. Yeah. No, my pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for making time. Uh, you guys are the best in the business when it comes to shining a spotlight on minor league baseball. So uh, we appreciate all you do for our game and for our industry and, and best of luck to the two of you as well. Well, we're also very pleased to be joined this week on the show before the show podcast by Trenton GM and COO, Jeff Hurley. Jeff, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm happy to come on. 
Yeah, no, this is great because there is so much happening in Trenton, which we were just talking about off mic, but uh, big news coming across the board last week that you guys are joining forces with the Buffalo Bisons, the Buffalo Bisons kind of having to play a little bit of musical chairs, um, given what's happening with the Toronto Blue Jays and not them not being able to go north of the border, they might have to play in Buffalo. And because of that, the Buffalo Bisons will be playing in Trenton uh, to start the 2021 season. Just take us through the background of that and how that kind of came together, because Trenton, you guys were starting out the draft league this year. You're going to be inaugural members of that. Now, all of a sudden, you're housing not only that team, but a triple A team. So take us through the background of how we arrived here. Yeah, it was a little bit of a, a longer process. But uh, when when we had gotten word that that some things were going on, you know, within Toronto and Buffalo's construction, we had reached out to Buffalo and just said, hey, if you know, you need any help we you know we'd be happy if it works out to make sure the MLB draft league team was was taken care of and and we could work that out with MLB um you know we might be interested and and so we started talking to the Blue Jays we started talking to the Bisons and and kept MLB in the loop and um I think you know it all worked out knowing that that the facility that we have here and um you know, the, the understanding with, with Buffalo and, 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 you know, Mike Butchkowski, who also is a, a part of the rich group that, that owns West Virginia in the draft league. So there was a connection there. So, um, you know, we, we started going through everything, making sure that Toronto had, you know, photos of the facility, which, which, you know, they've been through here with New Hampshire, but, you know, getting photos of the facility, making sure that, you know, due to COVID regulations and guidelines and things like that, that we could handle uh, the AAA club. So we worked through that for about a month and a half or so. And um, finally, we're able to release it on Friday. And as part of that, I mean, so much has been made over the past couple of months about getting ballparks ready for 2021. And not only are there COVID regulations, but there's also new Major League Baseball regulations that you have to go through. So what changes have you guys had to make, if any, uh, to Trenton Thunder Ballpark to get ready for, you know, to house AAA, uh, AAA team, which you had not done before this year? Yeah, not much. We, you know, our facility was ready to go. We, we have the proper square footage. We have the home clubhouse side with the lounge and the weight room and video room and things like that. Our visiting clubhouses uh, has the correct square footage. We have the indoor batting tunnel. So we, we were ready to go. And I think that's what made us so attractive to the Blue Jays. Once, you know, we, we had started discussions and sent them our floor plans of the ballpark. I think they saw that, you know, the room was enough, even with having, you know, guys getting tested and, and coming through. I, I think they thought they felt comfortable here. And, uh, you know, Buffalo knew they would be in good hands while, um, you know, the construction was going on up there. So uh, I think that was a great thing is, is you know, Mercer County, our, our, our landlord had done a great job of keeping this ballpark for the last, you know, 28 years. And, and so we were ready to go. And I think it all worked out in the end that, that Buffalo and, and Toronto feel comfortable putting the AAA team here. Jeff, um, a roller coaster to say the least for uh, the Trenton organization from, uh... Double A New York Yankees affiliate for many years running to losing that affiliation to announcing that you will host a team in the new MLB Draft League. To now, of course, hosting a draft league team and the Triple A Buffalo Bisons. Um, it's a kind of confusing situation, even for people who work in minor league baseball, who cover minor league baseball, such as ourselves. Um, so, from a fan educational education slash marketing standpoint. It's a lot of information to get across, and uh, I imagine the average fan who, sure, enjoys going to a Thunder game or two a year, seeing the mascot, getting a hot dog, a lot to explain there. What's been your approach to um, you know, making sense of this for the, uh, for the average Trentonian? Yeah, certainly a unique situation, and, and obviously working with, with Buffalo on this, there's, there's a lot of things that are unique in this way and we thank buffalo for for uh, obviously uh working with us on this we wanted to be the trenton thunder when when we were home we wanted to wear our trenton thunder uniforms we wanted our fans to come out and see the trenton thunder brand uh, and that's pretty much what we will be uh within the trenton mercer county bucks and burlington county areas we will be the trenton thunder when the bisons go on the road or when our team goes on the road They'll be the Buffalo Bisons. They'll wear the Bisons uniforms. The standings will say Bisons. You know, all that stuff surrounding the team will continue to be the Buffalo Bisons. But we felt strongly um, 
about making sure that our fans see uh, uh, the Trenton Thunder. And we appreciate Buffalo working with us and the Blue Jays uh, on that. So, uh, and then, you know, for our draft league, we're, we're currently working with Major League Baseball to find a suitable home. So they will not play at the ballpark this year uh, unless we can find a game or two that, that works scheduling wise. But we're working to find a, a good home for them. Uh, they will be in this area, so they will be close. Our fans will be able to go out and, and check out a couple games if they wish. Uh, and they will wear so, some Trenton Thunder uniforms, but uh, they will not take on the identity of, of Cloud Man and, and things like that. So we'll wear our, our home sleeveless jerseys, our BP uh, Thunder jerseys, and, and obviously the pork roll um, when we house the AAA Blue Jays. And then we're working on, um, you know, the MLB Draft League Thunder team, but they will have uniforms, Trenton Thunder uniforms and things like that. Uh, well, thanks for clarifying. No, no draft league in uh, uh, at the ballpark this year. Triple A Buffalo Bisons slash Trenton Thunder baseball. Yeah. Uh, and then looking at your schedule uh, as the Triple A affiliate of the Blue Jays playing as the Trenton Thunder, um, one of the more interesting uh, series that I see on the schedule is uh, I believe in early June uh, you're playing the Triple A Scranton Wilkesbury Red Rail Riders. So after having been a double-A Yankees affiliate for so many years, now you find yourself in the position of hosting the triple-A affiliate as the visiting team while you play as the Blue Jays. Um, have you thought about that series specifically or ways to market that or probably seeing guys who played for the double-A Trenton now coming as visitors with triple-A Scranton? Uh, it just seems yeah. kind of like a, a fun situation. It, it, it will be fun. Um, you know, we haven't given it much thought. I'm sure our fans have, and, and they're ready to go, and they probably circled that that game on the calendar. Uh, you know, we're going to treat every game as it's the same. I think just being at the AAA level and having teams like the Yankees and the, the Mets, Red Sox, Phillies, Nationals come through one step away from – from major league baseball is going to be huge for us. And, and uh, we're also excited to, to see the blue Jays for, for all these games. They have a great organization. You know uh, uh, we remember playing them, I think back in 2018 when they had, you know, Vlad jr, Bo Bichette and, and Craig Bijan. And I think that the, the prospects are, are probably just as, just as good. And they continue to stock their organization as well. So you're going to see great baseball. It's going to be fun to see the uh, Yankees triple a come in as the road team. Um, and uh, it, it'll be cool. Cause I think a lot of those players will be guys that had played here in 2018 and, and 19 prior to the, the shutdown. So, you know, excited to see some familiar faces, but I'm sure our fans will be ready. We'll be ready to cheer on the blue Jays triple a team and, and, uh, and go from there. And, and the other unique one is, you know, Lehigh Valley, you got the bacon versus the, the pork rolls. So uh, that'll be, that'll be a fun little thing. And and maybe I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to Kurt and, and see if we can have some, some fun with that one, but uh, pork roll definitely greater than bacon. <laughs> we have that on the record as if that was going to be a surprise, but you know, now it's on the record. Uh, Jeff, one thing I, you may have sort of addressed this before, but just to get this kind of solidly down, like how organizationally are games going to work? Is it going to be your operation solely? Like is Buffalo chipping in? These are two minor league organizations who have their own front offices working games here. So how is that going to kind of break down? Yeah, so uh, it, it's it's going to be our organization. We're going to run the day-to-day -day operation here, um, you know, and it's you know, our ticket sales, our, our, our ticket staff, you know, things like that. It'll be our ushers, our promotions when, when they're in our ballpark. So um, we're going to run the day-to-day. -day. I'm sure we'll keep in touch with Buffalo to make sure they're good. On the baseball operations side, you know, our, our staff will deal with the Blue Jays and make sure that they're, you know, happy when they're at the ballpark. We'll still keep in in touch with Buffalo along every way, uh, you know, just to keep them in the loop. Uh, they'll be sending down, I believe, one of their clubhouse guys to help us on the home side. So, um, again, we appreciate Buffalo helping out on that end. But uh, uh, I've had a, a great working relationship with Anthony, their GM, over the past, you know, few weeks to a month of just making sure that, you know, everything's ready logistically for travel and things like that, that, that they just kind of – pass everything off to us and, and we run with it. And then, you know, working with the Blue Jays, uh, minor league operations, uh, we've, we've continued to stay in touch weekly just to make sure we don't skip a beat and everything's ready to go. So, you know, when, when uh, the AAA Blue Jays get to town that, that uh, you know, nothing skips a beat from them coming up from Florida and we're ready on May 4th. 
And um, you know, we touched on this a little bit about going from a double A affiliate to a triple A affiliate. And there's a lot of things that you guys had to kick into gear, but what's the biggest transition for you guys, just as a front office, all of a sudden dealing with double A players and double A teams with guys get called up from there, but kind of rarely two triple A teams where guys are, are getting called up all the time. They're, they have some brand awareness, all that kind of stuff. What is the biggest transition in just that move going double A to triple A? Yeah, I, I think just the biggest thing, because we're used to the player moves and, and having someone in April and two weeks later, he could be in AAA or single A. I, I think the, the the cool thing this year will, will be if they're getting called up, they're going straight to the bigs. And and, and so that'll be really cool to see. Um, you know, a challenge for us is is we were preparing for an April, uh, May 24th opening day uh, gets bumped to May 4th. So operationally we have, we have, you know, quite a bit of work to do, but I, I have full uh, faith in our front office staff and, 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 you know, our assistants that are just starting out to, to get the ballpark ready and, and, and we'll be ready to go. But yeah, I mean, we're used to it. Double A, triple A, you know, everybody knows affiliated baseball. We've, we've worked with the, the big league clubs. And um, so I don't see much difference, but it'll be really cool to see some guys called up right away and, and, and just go right into the bigs. All right, Jeff, we'll, we'll end on this one because this was the number one question I got when I tweeted the news last week about, about uh, you guys taking over Buffalo. But what's happening with the Bat Dogs? Are the Bat Dogs back? Are they excited to be AAA? Like, what's the situation with them? Uh, well, uh, uh, Rookie and, and, and Dash are pumped. They have their uh, their uh, Blue Jay jerseys and bandanas ready to go. And, and they'll certainly be making appearances at the ballpark. We're still trying to work through all the MLB guidelines of, you know, bat boys and, and, and bat dogs and stuff like that. But um, yeah, they're certainly pumped to, to be affiliated and, and, and partner up with the, the Blue Jays and the Bisons for, you know, during the 2021 season. And, and they're getting excited. They're going through their spring training and um, rookie is, is certainly itching. It's been a while, September, 2019, when since he's retrieved his last official bat so um he's going to be ready to go he'll probably if he is able to it's going to be like shooting out of a cannon where he's he's uh he, it'll be fun to watch very cool well jeff hurley gm and coo of the trenton thunder one of the busiest people in baseball right now thank you so much for taking the time we can't wait uh, to see baseball back in trenton at the triple a level you guys hosting the Worcester Red Sox in their first game ever. So it's going to be a very historic game in, in many ways, uh, but can't wait for that day. And thanks so much for joining us. No, thanks for having me guys. Hope to see you at the ballpark uh, this summer. Our thanks again to Hillsborough president and GM KL Wambacher and Trenton GM and COO Jeff Hurley for joining us uh, in those last two interviews uh, again, it, it was a really fun opportunity uh, for Ben and I to to talk to two guys in separate coasts, obviously, and two separate uh, situations, but very similar in terms of what they, they're going to go through. And there's lots of change coming to the minor leagues, obviously, in 2021, but those are two special cases. So it was good to talk to both of those guys and we're wishing them all the luck in both Hillsborough and Trenton as they get their seasons underway here in just a couple of weeks. Uh, Tyler, what do we have here now for the final segment? Yeah, so speaking of uh, some of the changes coming to minor league baseball in 2021, this is not one that pertains to a minor league baseball affiliated league, but does pertain uh, to a partner league in 2021, as according to this press release, uh, some changes coming for the Atlantic League. Quote, Major League Baseball and the Atlantic League of Professional Baseball today jointly announced new experimental playing rules that will be in place during the 2021 Atlantic League Championship season. The changes under the continued partnership agreement between the two parties are as follows. Now pay attention. Double hook designated hitter. Once a team's starting pitcher is replaced, that team will lose its designated hitter for the remainder of the game. The club will be required to use a pinch hitter or the relief pitcher will bat. The double hook rule re represents a potential compromise between the historical rules of the National League, which has not employed the DH except for 2020, and the American League, which has used a designated hitter since 1973. Nearly 90% of pitching starts in the major leagues in 2020 lasted less than seven innings. By linking the DH to the starting pitcher, the rule aims to incentivize teams to leave their starting pitchers in longer, increase the value of starters who can work deeper into games, and also increase the strategic element 
in the late innings of a game. So that is one rule. Number two is the rule that has been discussed uh, much more today as we're recording on the 14th of April. The pitching rubber will be moved back one foot in the second half of the season only. The thing that stands out most to me about this is for groundskeepers across the Atlantic League in the middle of the season do have to dig up and replace a mound a foot back is uh, not a project that I would want to be involved in, but neither here nor there. Uh, quote, moving the pitching rubber back 12 inches to 61 foot six inches will provide batters with more time to react to pitches. The expectation is that more reaction time will help batters make contact more frequently putting more balls into play and creating more action in the game. The reaction time on a 93.3 mile per hour fastball, the average velocity in 2020 thrown from 61.6 feet, 61 feet, six inches is approximately equivalent to a 91.6 mile per hour fastball. The average fastball velocity in 2010 thrown from 60 foot, six inches. So this is a response essentially to basically how dominant pitchers have become uh, in recent years. Baseball, there's been so much discussion over the three true outcomes and there's too much striking out and there's too much guys just looking to hit home runs and blah, blah, blah. Um, this is something that is designed to help hitters have a little bit more of a chance now that the average fastball velocity, as we see with those numbers, uh, has gone up You know, almost two full miles an hour over the last 10 years. This is very interesting. Um, there is precedent for raising and lowering the mound throughout Major League Baseball's history. Uh, in 1969, Major League Baseball reduced the size of the strike zone, prohibited the use of foreign substances, and lowered the height of the mound from 15 inches to 10 inches. Strikeout rate fell 4%. Uh, it was already on the, the fall from 1968 to 1969, uh, from 15.8% to 15.2%. Uh, batting average also climbed after those changes by 11 points. Um but this is not that. This is not lowering the mound. This is not um, something that we've seen really before in the game of baseball. Now, the, the Atlantic League release does point out that, quote, there is precedent for this change, but you have to go all the way back to 1893 when the National League moved the pitching rubber back five feet to its current distance of 60 feet, six inches, meaning that there is no precedent for this change since 1893. Um, Sam, your thoughts on all of this stuff. There is so much to digest with these changes. We'll talk about a few of these things, uh, but your initial reaction to these uh, new implemented rules coming to the Atlantic League in 2021. Yeah, I mean, we got to start with the mound change, even though it's half a season. Um, I think that's the big attention grabber. Uh, I like your point about the fact that what are all these groundskeepers going to do? Like, is the mound just going to be bigger? Like the dirt just going to be bigger and just move back uh, a foot, the actual mound itself. Like I'm very fascinated by that. Um, but speaking more practically in terms of what we're actually going to see on the field, I get that hitters are going to need a little more time to react to fastballs. That that's the big news. That's you look at this release. They put that reaction time up very high as part of this announcement, uh, because velocity is higher than it's ever been. I get that. That's a big deal. Um, but one thing I'm writing about this week uh, over at Pipeline is the importance of secondary pitches. And those are really what make pitching an art. Uh, it's one thing to be able to throw 99, but if you don't have a breaker in there, you're not going anywhere. Um, so what is going to happen to breaking pitches? Part of the big thing about breaking pitches is sometimes you can spike a, a curveball into the dirt. or Very you know, often. Very often, like that's a, that's a huge deal. Um, what happens when you throw breaking stuff on, on the outside corner that's diving maybe away from right-handed batters or left-handed, whatever. Um, you know, that, that stuff, that's going to take a change. Like moving the mound back a foot isn't about reaction time at that point. It's now, it's going to take extra effort for these pitchers to throw that distance. And doing it in the middle stuff. of a season is even yeah. more of a, a change in that regard because it's not something that you're prepping for through a spring training type of circumstance. And then you go into a season, it's all the same. This is going to be the first half of the season is what we've come to accept as normal baseball for the last nearly 130 years. And then all of a sudden, the middle of the season, you got to completely change that up. Yeah, yeah. And that's definitely going to be – I think they do, they're do. they doing that for the same reason a lot of the actual minor league changes, some of them are being split up first half, second half. Uh, basically is to have A-B testing, is to see right. what happens a, when it's... A control group and a variable group, essentially. Exactly, right. Um, and coming off a 2020 season in which there wasn't a lot of baseball anyways, it's it's tough to compare 2021 data to 2019. 
um, year to year, it's even difficult to do that. So all of a sudden having two sets of data in the same year makes some sense. But again, you're dealing with pitchers here who are now all of a sudden have to change a lot. Now they they quote a study in here that was that happened in October 2019 about what happened when they moved the, the mound back two feet, what happened when they moved it back three feet, two inches. And according to that study, there weren't more injuries, but this was conducted in October 2019. It's one month. I they don't say like what is the sample size here. Right. I don't know what the data is and what it's showing and has there like it says no evidence of increased injury risk, but what happened long term and what happens with guys pitching two, three months under these circumstances? Um, what happens to them two, three years down the line? I, I'm not sure. Uh, so that's, it, it's all experimental. That's basically what the Atlantic league has become. Uh, you'll remember they were the first league to have robot umpires a couple of years ago. And, and that's part of this release as well, is that they're going to be dealing with a new strike zone. Um, one that's going to be a little bit, closer to what pitchers and batters have dealt with when there have been human empires. Something we've talked about with guys who've dealt with robot umps before. Um, sometimes you can throw a pitch that doesn't look like a strike because it bounced, but technically it nicked the zone. Trying to tighten that up. That's good. I'm excited to see that. And I am interested to see what this new DH rule is going to look like once it's actually put into games. Like our starter is going to go longer because you want that extra batter. I don't know. We're not going to know until we see it more this feels like an answer to the opener. Um, that's obviously popular in Tampa Bay and other places of letting one pitcher go one time through the lineup and then handing it off to another pitcher. This eliminates the strategy behind that. Um, you're going to maybe get one extra at bat from a DH that way, but that's, it's not going to be a great way to run your team. Um, so we won't probably see openers in the Atlantic league this year. Uh, so I, I'm interested in that, but it, it feels like so much of, we're going towards full DH ball for everybody that this is just kind of a minor step just to have fun and see what happens and put it off to the side after the CBA comes next year. Um, so it, like so many things, it's, it's a wait and see approach. Um, but I, I don't feel like moving the mound back, at least at this stage, I could be wrong. We'll see what's, what's going to happen here in the Atlantic league. Maybe more balls will be in play and that'll be a huge deal. And my worries about breaking pitches are a little, you know, uh, over eager, but as it stands right now, I, I don't think this is the solution. I think the solution might actually be at some point reducing the strike zone. You want guys not throwing a hundred mile an hour all the time. Well, it's difficult to spot a hundred mile an hour fastball. If we create the sport where all of a sudden it becomes even more of a skill to be able to spot your pitches and throw them in the zone, which is a little tighter then we're going to see more balls in play because guys are going to try to become more like Greg Maddox than they are Raldis Chapman. Uh, so that's, that would be a positive development, but maybe we'll see that in 2022. Uh, maybe that's, you know, like, like I said, part of the robot umpires changing the strike zone a little bit here. Maybe that's the thing that actually gets carried forward here. We'll have to wait and see, but um, certainly interesting developments nonetheless. To say the least. Uh, so with that, we will pivot to our final segment of this week's show, which is better now an affiliate structure. The American League West is up this week. The junior circuit. We have moved into the West division of the junior circuit. If you have uh, not been with us for the last, eh, you know, a couple months with the restructuring of Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball and the partnerships between teams, we've been going through each division in the big leagues and the minor league affiliates contained therein for each team. So we start in the American League West with the Houston Astros, who welcome in uh, two new affiliates in 2021, including the formerly independent league, Sugarland Skeeter. So we're in Sugarland, Texas, uh, now at the AAA level, 22 miles away from Minute Maid Park. One of the teams that I think over the last you know decade or however long Sugarland has existed, I think most people would have thought, they're ever going to bring in an affiliated team uh, or an unaffiliated team into affiliated ball. Sugarland would probably be at the top of that list. They are the new AAA affiliate of the Astros. Corpus Christi will remain the AA affiliate 209 miles away from Houston. The Asheville tourists who were one of the longest tenured partnerships with an organization in baseball, former low A affiliate of the Colorado Rockies. They are now the high A affiliate of the Houston Astros. They had been with the Rockies since uh, that franchise's inception in 1993 and the Fayetteville Woodpeckers formerly, the uh, high A affiliate of the Astros is now the low A squad in the Houston organization's ladder. Yeah. Kind of funny how that's now all of a sudden a Texas and North Carolina system exclusively uh, there for the yeah. Houston Texas. 
the Houston Texans. What sport are we talking about again? <laughs> the Houston Astros. Uh, anyways, moving right along to the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, they are at AAA. They are with the Salt Lake Bees, as they have been for quite a while now. Uh, AA, the Rocket City Trash Pandas, a team that was supposed to be coming into uh, affiliated ball last year, uh, moving them from Mobile. Now they are the Rocket City Trash Pandas. The Rocket Madison, City Trash Pandas kind of feel like their performance comedic art. You know what I mean? <laughs> pretty much existed now for like four years. They have yet to actually get to play a game. Like it's kind of just like one of those things where, uh, you know, like in that old TV show, Home Improvement, you never saw the bottom of Wilson's face. That's like right. the trash band. It's like, are they actually going to play a game? Because um, they were, they point, had their name picked so early. They yeah. were selling merchandise so early. Like I believe they had in 2018, all their... they started selling merchandise two years before they were scheduled to debut as a squad. Yeah, they had all their ducks in a row. Um, and then 2020 happened and yeah. all the ducks were all over the place. Yeah. Um, but anyways, we'll, we will finally see them, uh, the Rocket City Trash Pandas, in 2021. I promise. Knock on wood. I should knock on wood. I don't know what I'm promising. Anymore. <laughs> uh, we will hopefully see them in 2021. At high A, a former Northwest League team joining the fold of the Los Angeles Angels is the Tri-City Dust Devils in Pasco, Washington. Uh, and then at low A is the former Cal League affiliate of the Angels, now at low A, uh, the Inland Empire 66ers, only 47 miles away uh, from Angel Stadium. So that's technically the closest, but also technically the farthest away. It's going to be a while to climb there. Um, but it, there is an obvious connection there uh, between the 66ers and the Halos. Uh, the Oakland Athletics, I actually very much like our um, lead into this uh, description from back in February when all of this was announced. Uh, it says, quote, before the Raiders moved in, Oakland found a triple A home in Las Vegas in 2019 with the newly named Aviators. Uh, that squad will remain as the A's triple A affiliate, the Las Vegas Aviators. Double A Midland will stay uh, at that level for the Oakland Athletics. The high A and low A levels are changed up uh the lansing Lugnuts, former longtime affiliate of the toronto blue jays they have moved into the a's organization as the high a squad they used to be uh, the low a affiliate for toronto in the stockton ports formerly of the high a california league now in low a west uh they will move down to that level and uh, continue their affiliation with the oakland a's uh, moving right along to the seattle mariners a system that i'm sure we'll be following tons uh, coming up this year for obvious reasons, but almost at every stop along the way, I feel like there's going to be a, a notable prospect. Uh, starting at a Triple A Tacoma, obviously going to make sense. Washington's Triple A team matched up with Washington's Major League Baseball team. Uh, it's only 36 miles from T-Mobile Park uh, to Tacoma, so that's going to be super simple and easy for those two clubs. At Double A, it's still the Arkansas Travelers. High A is now the Everett Aqua Sox. Uh, so again, another Washington minor league team paired up with the Seattle Mariners. They were a former Northwest League team, bumping up two levels now to high A. Uh, really excited to see what they can do going from May all the way to the fall. Uh, and then the Modesto Nuts uh, will be the low A team. So a pretty solid West Coast uh, contingent here, but also throwing in the Arkansas Travelers, who the Mariners have some experience with going back a couple of years. And the final squad, uh, final organization in the American League West, the Texas Rangers, just like their Texas counterparts, the Houston Astros, now strictly a Texas and North Carolina uh, organization. The Round Rock Express, after a couple of years with Houston, are back with Texas, um, which is fitting as a, a team named for Nolan Ryan. The Round Rock Express now back with the Rangers, although he pitched for the Astros too, so it always fit. Frisco Rough Riders at AA. They will stay there as the Rangers affiliate. Um, they joined that farm system in 2000. Three, so they are now the longest tenured partner with the Rangers. The Hickory Crawdads, formerly the Low A affiliate with the Rangers, now bumped up to High A, and the Down East Wood Ducks make the the uh, inverse of that move. Formerly the High A club, they are now the Low A uh, in my favorite ballpark in the minor leagues in Granger Stadium in Kinston, North Carolina. And that is the American League West, American League Central coming up next. Um, and Sam, one more point for us to get to on this week's episode of the show before the show before we wrap things up i mean it is one of those things that i feel like you've probably already noticed this if you are listening to this show <laughs> and you have made it however many minutes we've made the show this week 70 plus minutes like we always and, do. and if this is not your first time listening yes yes <laughs> is it, for, for all you know this could be totally normal uh but pretty exciting news we have a new logo we do as you Finally, I'm so excited for this. This has been something that's been in the works for, I, I would say, a while. 
um, in, in fun ways. Like we've thrown back ideas of, of what we want to do. Uh, and it's kind of our own way of celebrating the, uh, you know, the return of minor league baseball here coming in, in a couple of weeks, fresh coat of paint here on the podcast with this new logo. <laughs> Uh, we can't thank Vince, the the guy yes. in the design department here at MLB, enough for his help and his vision and Such putting this work. together. And um, as you'll note, it looks like a, a baseball microphone. I wish it existed in real life, um, but it it doesn't. Not yet. Not until we market it, Tyler. So write right, that right, down. right, right. We got to write this down. We get. I mean, we get emails regularly from people who you know seem to own factories in China and ask us to partner yes. with them on like pizza ovens, so maybe they can make a baseball microphone. Good yeah. It may, maybe we make it like a bobblehead of some sort. Like you hit the <laughs> the butt, the baseball Ooh, on the microphone like and it bobbles back and forth. I like forth. that idea. Um, but it also has the new fresh minor league logo that we talked about before with four stars total, but two on each side. Um, so that, that should look familiar. And then the show before the show podcast uh, around the circle. Like the, Tyler, when we were putting this together, I remember you thinking it, it almost looks like a patch. Yeah. Like it's, it's something that could go on the shoulder of a uniform, which again has baseball tie-ins. So Really love the look of it and how it kind of came together. You're more of the logo man than I am though. So like, what, what do you like about it? I love it, man. It was, um, we started talking about this last year sometime and, um, it was so much fun because we got to hop on a call and, you know, uh, Vince Petrofrezzo, who's the designer was, was on with us and we we're kind of giving Vince our feedback and we're talking through it on, on our side, on the content side and on the, the MILB side with some of the folks who were down in St. Pete at that time. And, um, this is like, everything that I've ever dreamed of to be able to be in on a conference call about what you like about a logo and what you want to tweak about a logo and all that stuff. And it was so much fun. Um, but I feel like it came out great. It's the thing that's so difficult about podcast logos is this is such a, an evolving, um, landscape and where podcasts are now compared to when we started this in 2015, it's entirely different. Uh, and podcast design logo design has been, a constant evolution over the last several years. And um, ours, I think, you know, looked a little dated. I think we kind of had it put together when we launched the show and then realized, um, you know, a couple of years ago that it was probably due for a refresh and um, it looks great. I love it. Vince did a fantastic job and all the credit in the world to him. Um, and I, I think it's uh, a very fitting uh, redesign for a new era of the show before the show podcast. How about that? How about that? I wish we could have put that. Well, not a new era. Like we're not going to be selling new era. Caps, right, 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 right. I mean, if the, if anybody's listening, I would be fine with it. We're 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 around. I would can, be fine with it. If new can, era would like to make these, I would be actually very thrilled with it. Yes, yes. <laughs> as as Tyler himself is getting into the world of hat design, uh, I would be very excited to see that. But you know, like, let us know what you think if if you see it once you've downloaded your episode now, and, and if something looks new and exciting and fresh, let us know if, if there's something about it you would like to see. Maybe, you know, we refresh again in a couple of years or maybe after the season, something like that. We're always open to feedback in, in any way. So, um, but yeah, exciting times ahead with this new impression. Absolutely. And uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of the show. He is Sam. I am Tyler. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.